There are times in your life when you meet someone that you hope to be in conversation with for the rest of your life. Julia is one of those people for me. An artist who completed her Master of Fine Arts at Columbia College, Chicago. She's originally from our shared hometown of Corpus Christi, Texas, and is heavily influenced by the small, family-based businesses she grew up around. Formerly trained in printmaking and specializing in artistic forms of independent publishing, she founded both Vice Versa Press and Quarantera Press, and in 2020, launched QTVC Live, a DIY shopping network for artists and creatives, which is currently through its third season. Julia puts it best when she says, it's like Art 21 meets QVC. Her work speaks to the everyday objects that we hold sacred, crosses and moons mixed with dominoes and cassette tapes from the 90s, iconic symbols recast with intersecting conversations that make new meaning from old histories. I look at them as vessels of a deeply personal kind of religion. Inspired by the botanica culture and syncretic spirituality of South Texas, she focuses on similarities of visual language and spaces of retail and worship, exploring the historical crossroads of where manufacturing and magic meet to further survey the history of selling empowerment in the United States. In a nutshell, I think she makes magic. She's currently back in town preparing for the installation of the Temple of exhibition, opening at Roots and Culture a few weeks from today, where she and her close friend, artist Chad Corey, will transform the gallery into an alternative space for worship, rest, communion, and spiritual expression, infusing ritual with play while making room for intimate looking and listening. I could not be more honored for the opportunity to talk to her today. Welcome, Julia, to the very first episode of Infinite Search. I'm very grateful to have you here and excited to talk. I'm so happy to be in your home with your animals, with these beautiful artwork that we're surrounded by. This, I really, listeners, I don't think you understand what a joy it is to be here right now. We met during a pandemic mm -hmm. in 2020, mm -hmm. which was a pretty big chaotic thing. And you were my neighbor across the hallway mm -hmm. over at Sputnik Press whenever I was curious about getting into some printmaking. And you had an amazingly warm welcome. You're such a good host that I just, I immediately connected with you. And then we started talking about kind of our artistic backgrounds and practices. And we saw that there was a lot of overlap. I think that we had a picnic one day outside mm -hmm. on a park bench and started talking about branding and capitalism and all sorts of fun stuff. But um, ever since then, I've always been following your work and the sort of intentions that I think that you seem to bring to your practice. I guess one of the things I'm curious about is that a lot of your work is overlapping this idea of branding and communication with with fine art and i'm curious if there was anything in your childhood or something specific um that that is informed by that or that that kind of comes from that's a great question and absolutely um i grew up in my mom's office so she works a lot and so you know i, I also grew up with babysitters with my family taking care of me but I spent a lot of time in her office, and this is sort of at the very beginning of consumer internet. And um, whenever I would get online, it would be nothing but like the gross porn and stuff. And as a kid, I would get very embarrassed by that. So I spent my time usually away from the computer around a lot of uh, nonprofit sort of graphic making material, typewriters, cocket machines. I just really used these machines for creative purposes. And I do feel like being in the nonprofit environment really helped me become comfortable with branding. Because I think this is during a time in branding's history when 
it was becoming more accessible to smaller companies. My mom was working for the Chamber of Commerce, which wasn't a small company, but watching them rebrand in Corpus Christi at that time when I was there with my mother was really, it was informative to me whether or not I, I, I really haven't acknowledged that rebrand until now. But being in these environments of heavily branded iconography, professional lingo, I was just raised around that. And so I am very comfortable with it in a way that maybe other artists are not. What do you think about that uncomfortability with artists? Where do you think that comes from? Oh, that's, I mean, maybe just a lack of familiarity, maybe. Um, branding can be very formal. And I think artists are sort of conditioned to understand themselves almost as being informal and being sort of counter to what branding represents. So, um, but also, you know, branding has been weaponized and I feel like collectively we've come to understand that. But I think in acknowledging that conversation that sometimes we fail to see the beauty in what branding has also done and, and what it can do. I mean, I think this is a really interesting time for branding. I'm seeing like a lot of youth culture really experiment with it in a way that I think was previously definitely inaccessible. But watching branding now sort of belong to Gen Z mm. is awesome. I'm seeing a lot of puffy graphics. I'm seeing things that are hard to read. And I'm like, you know what? This shit rocks. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a, a conversation that I think also the institutions have shied away from for a long time. But now I think that discourse around branding is becoming more integrated in their curriculum. So, so there was like the office culture, but there was also the flyer culture that I think came to me later on in life. I was in the office on like seven, you know, but later punk graphics and DIY aesthetics were, they absolutely rocked my world. I think I wanted to be a rock show poster designer first. That's what I wanted to be. Um, and so graphics definitely influence like the direction that I, yeah. So branding is, you know, branding is just a part of what shaped my trajectory and it continues to do that. And to like, I can't imagine a life without thinking about branding. Um, you know, I responded to it also growing up in the early nineties. I think that toys and consumer culture, even Nickelodeon were so incredible with branding towards this age demographic of like 10, 12, 13. We, it was, it was beautiful. Like your graphics that were made for me. And I really, really, um, responded to that. I think about those gooey letters in Nickelodeon mm -hmm. and a lot of the slime stuff um, and being captivated by the color. Oh, it, was one, it was just like for the first time there were products made just for me, you know, and like my weird sort of tomboyishness, rambunctious youth energy. Yeah, that was another thing with those sorts of products were that they weren't always just the Barbie doll. Mm-hmm that they were fucked up looking sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That they were misshapen and had odd little things coming off of them and weird things. Yeah, and, and now that we're talking about it, mm. like, I'm thinking also, like, it was, it was a time when graphic design really sort of skewed gender. I don't know, there was just some really interesting sort of non-gender specific products that were coming out of the, at that time, which I think... Or an aquarium of gender and then with the shifting of what it could be and... But without talking about it explicitly, which was really interesting, because now I feel like everything is very explicitly, this is non-binary design, this is like queer design. At yeah. that time, that language wasn't there. And so I think maybe like as a kid consumer, I picked up on it, but didn't really know what it was. 
So I guess I have to ask that question of what's your role as an artist in this conversation? Wow. Um, I guess to respond, right? To respond, to interact, to be present. Um, being an artist for me feels like my, my main responsibility is to be sensitive and to be responsible with like the power of freedom that I have at my fingertips, which is not an easy place per se, but it is like my chosen space. And so understanding the privileges that come along with that, but also having a different perspective and be able and being able to chime in with this particular perspective. And so it's a very, very, very vague answer. It's a good artist answer. <laughs> yeah, I did the artist speak. Yeah. I got it down, I think. Yeah, no, it's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. The uh, ability to respond can give uh, responsibility to somebody. And sometimes I think about the, the responsibility of artists mm -hmm. in that sense yeah. of being a person who is highly attuned or tuned up, you know, yeah. you've got all your feelers out. You know, I'm, I'm really starting to, I'm still grappling with the responsibility that this being an artist entails. And I learn things all the time and I definitely do things incorrectly, <laughs> but I think you know, I'm learning a lot from um, younger folks. I'm learning a lot from those who came before us. And I'm just trying to avoid abusing the power that I have in every way possible. Even though I know that I have in the past, so I know that there's power there. I'm curious to hear more about how you construct value with your work and with, um, with your relationships and just how you think about it. Finding Contributing value with the work is different than with my personal relationships. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, that's complicated. With the work, you know, the work comes from deep within me. And sometimes I don't understand where it's coming from. But it, over time, I do. I think sometimes it takes me a while to understand what the work is about and where it's coming from. But now I, I work with a lot of sort of iconography. And you, you brought this up in our previous conversation. We were talking about communicating without language which I really think is the future of communication, especially thinking across language barriers mm. as we become more sort of intercontinental and, I don't know, cross-country sort of individuals, which is economically where I think we're being pushed to go. But communicating through symbols, colors, um, things like that. Whenever I make work that's full of symbols, right now I'm assigning metaphysical value to it. Number one, to, to make it easier to sell, all right? Mm -hmm. But also because I do believe that these sigils come from a place of where I was either trying to attract something or repel something. So if it's a heart with spikes on it, I'm probably going to try to repel like pain or heartache in some way. And so um, that's my process of, it's very rudimentary. Um, but I, I am starting to read more about symbols, the root, the human reactions to these things. And I'm trying to understand it so I can assign value more accurately. As far as my relationships go, I think the reciprocity mm. is at the very top of my values list with that. Freedom is my personal top value, but reciprocity in relationships is, is number one. I think as a community-oriented person, I can get really burnt out really easily when I'm in communities that don't understand, or maybe I don't set enough boundaries, right? When I, I don't understand my personal boundaries enough. So finding people who understand reciprocity, who maybe I don't have to teach reciprocity to. I can definitely feel that way sometimes. 
I tend to be a pretty quiet person for the most part until I'm not. And then, and so I, I exist and enjoy living in spaces where people are very aware of the person next to them. Yeah. I think that's a big deal to me too. Um, I think it goes a long way in so many different ways, whether you're having a real personal relationship with somebody, that's an obvious thing. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, in, when you're being creative, it's so important to acknowledge the next person and not just want to talk over them or make sure that your idea gets heard. I really love the creative process and collaboration and this idea that whatever you want, I want to have that conversation before we have the creative process or the, the act of it. And then I want to speak about everything I want. And then I want to go find those two things and see what that looks like because that's an entirely new thing that neither one of us knew about. Yeah. And that's like a beautiful space to have that validity on both sides. Oh, but even having that conversation ahead of time of like managing expectations. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do it ahead of time. Yeah. That's, that's, see, that's still something that I'm trying to implement. So the fact that you did that before we even started this podcast, I was like, yeah, I'm learning things every day. You know, and I think along with reciprocity, self-awareness is a part of that formula when the light bulb hits right not to just blurt out just to be like okay you know what we're gonna like i i think that is incredibly important yeah yeah it's hard i think <laughs> yeah it is for me i mean it is for me i can totally be rude and obnoxious but at the same time it's not hard for me just like i don't think it's hard for you i think there's something we share that is a knowledge of hospitality that i'm not sure where that comes from that's not in everyone, and that's not anyone's fault. But there is something for making space for others that isn't that much of a challenge. I am really thinking about my personal values a lot in relation. And uh, yeah, I have no answers here. Still figuring it out. Me too. <laughs> I can't say I might, I might not ever have that answer. Um, Dan. I might always be looking for that one. I'm over here thinking that I can solve yeah. This dilemma in this lifetime. I'll make an Instagram post about it. With all the answers. Please tag me, Sandra. <laughs> but I, I've, something I've learned recently, or feel like I've learned recently, in regards to community, was going slower. Mm. And this has been a thing in my life uh, the past few months. Um, I would say maybe since like October or November of last year, I've kind of been leaning into this like rest and slowness and I'm curious to hear anything about like how you, you have a show coming up where you're talking about slowness and, and communion and I'm curious how you approach those sorts of ideas. I struggle with slowness. Yeah. But I do recognize that it's something that I need to infuse in my practice more because I'm a coffee junkie and I move, I'm, I'm fast I move too like that's what I'm saying is that I can move mountains in a day so when shit takes a long time I'm like what the fuck is yeah. taking so so I get really frustrated with slowness yeah but I am sure. yeah it's it's challenging but I, I I am trying to and luckily working with Chad Chad works slower than I do and Chad's been the proponent for Chad Corey has been the proponent for like the slowness which I'm grateful for. And I'm also like taking cues from the nap ministry and like all these, you know, all these other practices that are really being like, actually rest is radical. And I'm like, you're right. This like hyper-capitalist speed of light shit. Right. There's no longevity to that. I'm going to die. Um, 
So I, I'm trying to be slower, and especially in my community practices, I know how valuable that can be because I've moved too fast on some practices that have been harmful to my community. And so I had to learn the hard way. I said, you know what, take your time, tie your eyes, cross your teeth, make sure we're on the same plane, because if we're not, shit's gonna be bad. So thinking about the wellness of the community, especially on social media, especially understanding that the visibility of everyone is not always beneficial to some. Mm-hmm. Learning those lessons the hard way has been my teacher. But I think that radical change like that sometimes it looks like that. Yeah. Yeah. And when a major shift in your life happens that it can be really scary and really rewarding mm-hmm. and really scary mm-hmm. and really scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I got to say, I think my sort of, my antennas perk up in chaos. And I, and I, I understand that that could be a trauma response. Um, but I, I just felt sort of prepared for disaster at that moment. I was like, okay, I can spend months alone. I could do that. Like, I was made for this. I was like, all right, I got enough books to last me a year. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I do yeah, but it was like, I already fucking built my fort. You know what? Like, I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm saying. Um, but of course, like the lack of touch. You know, I wasn't prepared for that to be a human. You know, yeah. there, and there are times when the artist in me is very different than the human in me, even though they're very much in her. They're linked. Mm-hmm. They're the same. But sometimes I forget that the artist or the human has me as much as I need to admit it. Um, because I thought of myself as a machine for a long time, and I love machines, I love robots, I love AI. Um, mm. And human will never be the same. <laughs> what do you love about AI? That it, I feel like AI has the potential to be reliable in a way that, you know. Humans aren't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I, like I would love a robot assistant. Like a little robot that's like, hey, do you want me to make you more coffee? Yeah, I'm going to grab it. Thank you. Put it to this exact temperature, please. And maybe two cups instead of like three. They'll be like, would you like soy milk? I'd say, actually, let's do almond. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And sure, I can have that relationship with a human. But with the robot, I don't know, there's something I don't know. You know, they're not going to be having a, a bad day prior to our interaction. Oh, I think they will. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think they will. That's- Fine, fine, crush me, robot shit. Yeah. I love AI. Mm-hmm. And I also know that it scares the hell out of me because there's a lot of potential for it. And potential can by be, either be good or bad. So I'm assuming it'll be both. Mm-hmm. Um, and that future, I don't know if humans exist in that future. Sure, sure. But I gotta say, there's something joyful in the end. <laughs> And this like doom that I find, if it is that, mm. if it's wonderful and beneficial and it makes life easier and harmonious, wonderful. But if it also is the end of something so huge as humanity, I'm just like, all right, it's time. It's our time. It's okay. Really? You know, all right, fuck it. I mean, I don't think that AI can replace everything, especially like manual labor, um, techniques or, or things like that. I'm sure there there are machines who are, are helping doing that right now. I don't know. I'm not I'm not worried about it for some reason. Think about poetry and some of the theater around uh, the turn of the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. and the absurdist movement and all of that. And it's the same stuff that we're talking about now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know we haven't, we've been here before, is all I'm saying. So I guess I'm not on super high alert. I think there are other things that we should be worried about, you know, that, right? The lack of transparency from our governments, our collective governmenting, you know, populations. There's some weird ass shit going on, you know, and, and like the way we treat each other in the city, the way we communicate. You use in your work, you use a lot of technology, but it seems like you use it in analog ways. Mm-hmm. And that there's some sort of conversation between those two things I've I've personally felt in the work that you do, especially knowing that you talk about class and labor and those sorts of ideas. I'm curious if at any point you would consider AI to be old or vintage enough to use it in your work. <laughs> I mean, I I already have been using like um, Dolly. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I needed to make some drawings, but then have the time to do them. <laughs> I was like, all right, shit, okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so I, I, I'm already like, damn, this shit is set up. Yeah, and, and same, I wrote my most recent theme that I wrote. Um, I wasn't going to tell anybody this, but it was a bibliomancy theme. A lot of the, the, the main body I had, I put it in a chat GPT, and then I just um, edited it. You know, yeah. but editing, honestly, editing took almost the same amount of time as if I was going to do the research, you know. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, it can't capture my voice. I haven't information fed it and or understand it enough to do that yet. But it's not like it's designing, it's printing, it's making the flow. It, it's not doing that for me, but it is helping me start the process, which for me personally is the hardest thing for me to do. So if there's something that can help me start the process of creativity, that's fucking cold. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the first time I saw it in felt like the potential of it was so massive. I really want to think about those intentions of what we're building with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I have the, the idea just to get it out better, faster, quicker, or is it we can do it so that we can have more space and time for contemplation? Yeah, or like, what is leisure? Is there more time for friendship and laughter and being a human, like the robot's gonna take up, like take over, then let the humans be human, right? But, uh, but uh, absolutely, I. There's also like the get rich schemes sure. that are coming with ChatGPT, which I, I think are very. Everyone's like, I'll just make a subject, make it to a digital book, put it on Amazon. I'm just like, all right, see what y'all done. I said, I think that's cool, but also like, what's content? What's the future of content? Right. You know. But I, you know. I'm also thinking about the aesthetics of what does that quick, fast content mm-hmm. look like? It's probably kind of ugly. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I don't know. Like, yeah, what is the future of content? Like, what are we, what can we expect from our content? Because prior to this, content has been generated by humans. Like, there was a human writing this content. You know what I'm saying? And, and con- making content is incredibly laborious, contrary to, I think, what a lot of people think. Really? But running social media accounts. And when you say content, do you mean the words or the visuals and the words or the... All of it. Yeah. The videos, the like... Oh, like, it takes forever. Oh my God, it's like four hours for yeah. real or something like that. You know, it's just like... So like, what is the future of content with ChatGPT and Dolly? And what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What human, you know, whose voice is it? Mm. Um, have faith that the human voice will prevail. You know, that maybe, I guess my my hope for this whole AI movement is that human labor will once again become incredibly valuable. Mm. You know, even the robots can do it quickly. 
and efficiently the need for human input and the human hand may become precious again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to learn a little bit more about what you're coming up with, with this um, show that you're installing, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about it. No, not at all. Um, I, I mean, I can only speak to my work. I, I don't really know what Chad's coming up with either. <laughs> yeah, because we've been working on the show sort of together, but remotely. I've been in Maine, Chad's been in Chicago. So Chad's actually really indulging in, in his more musical side. So uh, that I think is where Chad's brain is. Mine though has done more, I've been in Maine and I have, it was just in the studio, just sort of going out of my mind, which I think, I don't really know if artists are supposed to be artists 100% of the time. I don't know if that's healthy. I really don't, because I've done it a couple of times and each time I've sort of worked myself into a conundrum of, of sorts, right? I'm out of it now. Um, but I, I was really just sort of obsessing over this idea of being a talisman producer. So a lot of the work that I've made that's going to be shown are, are talismans for different ailments or different attraction uses. But they're physical objects and they're not additions, which is, as I'm a printmaker, so it's, it's been really interesting to move away from additions, even though like part of me is like, should I just make three of these in case one of them, you know? <laughs> and, and I might still, but um, none of them will be the same. They will not, I could try my best, but they will not be the same. But uh, just, I've been, I've been focusing more on objects. I love objects. I will always love objects. Just like I feel an affinity for robots. I feel a strong affinity for objects. Mm. I just, um, and I care for them deeply. Like there's a statue that I usually travel with. So I have like 70 pounds of luggage that I travel with. It's awful. <laughs> and it's mostly like- Sculptures. Sculptures <laughs> that I, I, I have a closeness to. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But I love objects and I, I do believe that objects carry energy. Yes. Um, and luckily the energy is a little more chill than carrying around humans. Um, I love humans, I really do. But, uh, you know, I, I prefer to sort of be in conversation in my private spaces with objects. So I've been making objects. I'm a big fan of the object. And I, I totally agree with you about um, objects having a soul. Yeah. I think, um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a Japanese term that I've heard before and I really identify with about Im imbuing a thing you make with a soul and purpose in a life that it's going to go live. Absolutely. I totally 100% believe it. Yeah, I would be ever. I guess animism is like a specific belief. Do you know anything about, I'm still learning about animism mm -hmm. um, as a spiritual path, but it's sort of this belief that everything carries an energy, every single person, thing, plant. So what is your spiritual belief then? I, I love this question. But since I don't just subscribe to a specific ideology, I just say that my spirituality is a practice of expressing gratitude. You know, um, there was a recent astrological event. I was on TikTok again. Yeah. They're like, okay, this is a great day to manifest. I'll manifest, man. And I was like, okay, blah, blah, blah. So I was laying in bed. I was sitting with my mom and with the cat on the bed. Yeah, I was like, you know what? But I was like, I figured it out. I don't want to manifest anything. Like, I am so grateful in this very moment to have whatever it is that I have at this very moment. I was like, that's it. You don't have to manifest on these days. It's just a day to be grateful. 
So whatever I express is, is, is gratitude. Yeah, that's beautiful. I can be sour, though. That's a moment. <laughs> it, is, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. It's a great moment to remember when you sour. I sure That's I'm going to remember that way. I'm going to try. It's like, it's like you are the manifestation, not you go manifest. Yeah. It's yeah. like a total reversal of, of mind and frame of mind. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just felt like one of the secrets to the universe had been unlocked. You're like, like, <laughs> I'm so light. <laughs> So easy. Damn it. Why was that so easy? <laughs> right. And how was I talking? It was like ease. Like trying to cultivate more of that in life during the pandemic was not, not difficulty, not struggle, but ease. There was a point in Chicago. I was like running errands one day prior to the pandemic. And I actually felt like I had moved so fast that my spirit had been left behind. And my spirit was just like, all right, see you later. And so when pandemic happened i felt like my spirit could come back to me kind of yeah yeah i'll go on a little time and then and like oh hey like okay well okay i knew you'd be here at your house i'm here you're re-embodying <laughs> yeah give me a second to sleep and uh need my home you know which i really really enjoyed but then you know the downside of that was then i also became way more sensitive to the outside world after I'd built this cocoon. Yeah. I became so sensitive that I had to leave Chicago. Mm-hmm. I really made it um, just because I felt like every single person in every building I could feel. I don't think it's good or bad. No, just a reframing. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I need to. I had a really, really hard time entering the world. So is that why you went to Maine? <laughs> I mean, there was a great opportunity that I followed for Maine, but it was, I didn't choose Maine. I wouldn't have, no. Well, I had no plans to live in Maine ever, or even to really acknowledge Maine, right? Hit the home. But here we are, I'm starting to build a life in Maine. But it, it was the reason I, I, I went to Maine. Essentially, I just left Chicago, was I just, I, I needed something to, I need something else. Whatever I was doing was really, it was, it was harming me in some way that was subtle, but it was there. Um, and Maine, I don't know, I, I started driving again. There was more nature. Not that I'm a nature girl by any means, but uh, I was able to take walks in a way that were truly, I like being alone. You know, and I think I love Humboldt Park. I love how communal the, the park is, but I really wanted to be alone in nature just for a minute. And uh, I found that to be really, really healing for me just to be alone in nature, to not hear anybody's footsteps above my head. You know what I'm saying? I just, I needed to be alone, truly. Yeah. yeah. What was uh, what was that experience like? Well, I overdid it sometimes, right? Like I still lived in a shared household, but um, I upgraded my life. I just fucking, did it. it was really hard and very expensive. Like did my taxes for 2021. That shit was expensive. But I, I don't feel like I had a choice. You know, it's what I asked for. It's what I wanted. And when the opportunity came, it's like, okay, it's time to move. And I had to cultivate community um, in a new place. And that was like an acrobatic. I'm impressed with myself, but it was a lot of work. Then it was, 
it's like, you know, when trauma happens, you almost don't know that it's happening until after, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think I'm still sort of coming to terms with my relationship to Maine and the whole transition. But, um, you know, I, was, I had the privilege of making artwork the entire time I was up there. So that soothes whatever growing pains because I was able to really just make work. I love a lot of that work that you were making too. Thinking about some of this work, I remember picking up a piece from you and opening it up in the mail and there was an insert with a, a rule from Sister Frida Kitt mm -hmm. and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't fucking believe it. I was like, oh my God, Sister Frida Kent is everywhere. Yeah. Um, in this, in this like amazing, great, beautiful sense of um, the, her work speaks to love and speaks to that that sensibility with art and i see a lot of of that kind of stuff in your work even if it's not necessarily an overt heart um, i see a lot of that intentionality in the work you make and it means a lot to me um there was a uh, piece you did with um, printing out vessels and just this idea of vessels and containers and showing the different ways that those containers could come together I thought was really powerful. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, like I said earlier, there are times when I make work and I have no idea what's going on. It's just going on. Um, so thank you for picking up on those, on whatever that is, that energy. Or, and I, I think there are also times when sometimes the intention isn't there. But it's just like, I have to make this thing. You just have to. You know? Do you ever feel that? I do. I think that as artists, we all pick up some, some thing, some wind, mm -hmm. and that wind goes wherever it wants to go. And it goes to lots of places and has the same message in similar places and all kinds of interesting things. But I think we just pick up that wind. I agree. I agree. But there are times when I pick up this wind and I'm, I'm like, damn it, how much money is it? Like, really? I'm okay. You're going to make me spend thousand bucks to do this right now all right all right i have to now it's just like sometimes these ideas come and you're like please do i really have to do this and yeah yeah it's almost like it's definitely being a vessel or a medium to these urges sometimes but it's almost also like being asked to it's it's an act of devotion i think in a lot of ways i approach it as an act of devotion i, I feel very strongly that you do too i do i do i definitely um i think it's a sacred thing mm -hmm. Um, I think you can approach life that way too. And that as an artist, if I can show that in any new way, that there's that relationship with making, um, I want to do that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Because you travel, you go about making home. Like, how do you find that space? Um, I mean, it's mostly in, I pick up objects. Right? And I surround myself with objects that reaffirm my existence in some way, which is why I travel with statues. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like I have to make the little bits of comfort wherever I am. And usually it's like a statue, a, a print, or just things that hang up on the wall. Incense is huge for me. Mm. And so I try to, I do travel a lot. And so the concept of home for me is attainable almost anywhere. But I do long for one place to put all my things. I long for one place, you know, and I've got a storage unit in Chicago, I have a storage unit in Maine now, stuff at my mom's house in Oklahoma. I would love for all of my objects to be in conversation with each other, you know? 
It's going to have to be a big help. I tried living in a tiny home recently. It didn't work for me because I make stuff. But for the time being, the road. The home is anywhere my statues are. And I would like to do it. My statue rests was home. And I love it. The things that are important to you. They're very heavy. <laughs> We've passed it before, too. Yeah, thanks. That's <laughs> true. The heavy things. The heavy things. I do I, I, I do like heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. I do. In my mind, one bad bed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Even though secretly I'm just like a dork. Yeah. Like a hardcore, weird, goofy dork loner. You know what I'm saying? But thank you. My, my branding, my self-branding. Okay. <laughs> it's working. I'm kidding. Um, but thanks. I just want to say thank you for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I think we had the same conversation in a different way right before we even recorded. And it was really, um, it's really inspiring to be around people like you. Um, I think that more people need to hear people like you um, and have opportunities to be around people who are truly creative and truly doing work that is, I think, revolutionary. John, thank you. Thank you. It feels so good to be seen, and I truly believe that you see me. So thank you for that. I look forward to uh, hanging out some more and seeing what else you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be in conversation with you further and hopefully to maybe collaborating. That would be great. I love that. Um, where can people find you after this conversation? I have a website, so it's juliaarredondo.com. I have an Instagram handle, that's future underscore juju, J-U-J-U. But I will more than likely turn up in your vicinity at some point in my life. So just keep your ears open. Um, I do a lot of traveling. Or if you'd like to bring me out to your neighborhood, just holler at me. Awesome. Look forward to it. So thank you again, and uh, we'll see you around. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.